Hey there! Are you tired of waiting for the next episode of It's Probably Not Aliens? Well, we've got some good news for you. On Nebula, our streaming service, you can get access to all our episodes a week early. That's right, you'll never have to wait again to hear Scott and I debunk the latest ancient astronaut theory or get a movie fact wrong. But that's not all. Nebula is home to dozens of content creators we know you like, so you can find all your favorites in one place. Plus, we post content on there that you won't find anywhere else. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and listen to the next episode right after this one. Don't be alarmed. Do not be alarmed, Tristan. Okay? Uh, am I supposed to be alarmed? During this recording, you may hear the sounds of booms and explosions in the background. I am fine. It's just that for some reason, we are celebrating the country that I live in right now with fireworks and other explodey loud things. And that's how we show that we like this place. I have a uh, counter warning. Also, uh -huh. don't be alarmed because on Friday, we had our version of that thing and people are still doing their campfires and fireworks as well, including a group of people who just set off fireworks like in the street on my street. Huh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, I feel like we Canadians Americans have some things in common on that We've front. Got, we, we're it, in the same range of time too we've just got a lot going on it baffles it baffles me why in the current state of things in the united states given certain decisions made by uh some some nine people in a room somewhere that we want to celebrate this great country of ours uh i don't know who's in the mood for that but people are and they show it by making loud explosion sounds in the sky yeah. if you by any chance uh are a supreme court justice and listening to this podcast um stop yeah we don't i hope <laughs> i hope I your hope, day is bad i hope your day is as bad as most animals on this day yeah <laughs> who just get terrible fright and anxiety from from all of the great activities we do do on our wonderful Independence Day. Justice Sotomayor is just like, oh. <laughs> anyway, so those are loud booms that I might deal with, but thankfully we're not going to deal with any. I mean, this podcast is going to be like a sort of uh, a calming space, right? No explosions, no nothing frightening, no booms or anything like that, right? I have some bad news for you, Scott. <laughs> no, Tristan, why? Every time. Please say this is going to be a normal episode of the podcast. It's never a normal episode. And now, now I need to make an animated like step back thing where it's like the introduction to the magic school bus. But it's like, <laughs> please let this be a, a happy, like a good fun history story with Tristan. Never. And it's <laughs> never. just like a very sad version of the magic school bus. Just like walking through the atrocities and dark parts of history. <laughs> <laughs> It's the magic school bus, but it's grim dark. Yeah, um, oh, everyone boy. likes a grim dark reboot these days. So here we sure do. And uh, what's it called? Adam Conover is now uh, what's it called? Stumping for the Obamas. So if you guys need a new guy to fill that void that he filled, yeah, pick up me. Um, pick up Tristan. And you need a new uh, tweet because jacket. we do a fun we do a fun podcast here called "It's Probably Not Aliens." Oh, oh that, that was tight. Was pretty right? good. Yeah, tight that was four. a tight, tight intro that we just did. Yeah. Uh, this is a show called It's Probably Not Aliens. Tristan, describe it. What do we do here? Uh, we look at claims of uh, supernatural, or most specifically, we look at claims of ancient astronaut theory stuff, as well as uh, UFO stuff and conspiracy theories. Right now, the main thrust of the show is that we are going through the show Ancient Aliens and um, exploring the, not only debunking the, the, goof, the goofy takes, but also showing you the real history behind the things that they yeah. are. Uh, 
uh, painting over. And my name is Tristan. I know some things because I frantically researched it in the week before the show. My name is Scott Nicewander. I know pretty much nothing, including most of the time the topic that we will be talking about until Tristan shares me on the notes about uh, five minutes before we start recording. And in recent weeks, uh, because I've been forgetting, sometimes after the call has been started, you find out what the show's yeah. going to be about. <laughs> I'm like, what are we even doing today? I know we're recording, but I have no idea what about. But I'm excited for this one. We've we've covered ancient nuclear weapons just a couple episode episodes ago, mm-hmm. and we're back, right? That's yeah. what this is about. In fact, actually, I realized that as I was working on this, we uh, received an email uh, from a listener about the topic that I was about to do an episode on, and so yes, that person's name was Rob. Thanks, Rob, for uh, for the information. Uh, about ancient nukes and whatnot. It was very helpful, very insightful and just very fun to read. Yeah, yeah. This this episode wasn't primordial development because this was mentioned in like the same sort of block of things in the episode of Ancient Aliens. But I'm really glad that somebody uh, kind of kicked me in the pants to get to it sooner because this was some cool stuff. And this was one of those ones where I'm like, oh, there's probably not going to be a whole lot. And then there was a fair amount. So it makes me happy. So maybe I should stop teasing what this episode is about and talk yeah. about what this episode is about. Get into it. What's happening? So we're going to go back a uh, long, long, long time ago to uh, the Indus Valley, uh, to what is modern day Pakistan. And we are going to look at a city by the name of Mohenjo-Daro, which according to ancient aliens, the population was killed off in a nuclear bomb sometime around 1500 BCE. 1500 BCE. Now, Tristan, that sounds like well before humanity invented nuclear bombs. Yes. At least as far as mainstream scholars would say. As far as mainstream scholars would say, we invented nuclear bombs in 1945, but this would be significantly earlier than that by about two and a half, nope, three and a half thousand years. Oh, wow. So, wow, we were way off, huh? I mean, if we were talking about geology, maybe we would be, uh, it'd be pretty on brand. <laughs> it's but pretty accurate, actually, give yeah. or take a few thousand years. It's fine. It's good. Uh, but yeah, so so here's basically the, the little bit they talked about. Um, yeah, what's the claim? The claim. In looking at Mohenjo-Daro at the street level, they claim they discovered some interesting things that are signs of nuclear bombs. Skeletons scattered around the cities, many holding hands and sprawling in the street as if some instant horrible doom (sighs) had killed its inhabitants. People were just lying, unburied in the streets in the city. There seemed no one to bury them afterwards. Descriptions show uh, from an ancient Indian epic that a quote, single projectile charged with all the power in the universe, an incandescent column of smoke and flame as bright as 10,000 suns rose in all its splendor. Whoa! And you know what? You know, that does sound a little like a nuclear bomb, does it not? It does. A single projectile blowing up with the power of of the entire universe as bright as 10,000 suns. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like and the fact that people seemingly died instantaneously and just were left there with their skeletons holding hands. That's I don't know. This one's good. This one's got me. This one's good. Uh, And also that there's a scientific paper by researchers by the name of David Davenport and Etar Vincenti, um, who have who claim that they believe that the archaeological site in Mohanjadaro was destroyed in a nuclear blast. So okay. to now I don't want to jump the gun on this a little early here, but to quote unquote researchers, that yeah. term has really <laughs> jumped out at me now that we've been doing this podcast for so long. Mm-hmm. Quote unquote researchers. Interesting. Interesting that that it's not uh, anything more uh, profound or legitimate than that. Yeah, like archaeologist or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know what? You know, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. These two uh, scallywags, these two fun little research guys. Mm -hmm. Well, let's let's hear them out. Let's see see what's happening. But first, we need to go back to the weird inextricable link between nuclear weapons and references to Hindu. Uh, canon and scripture and India in specific. Yeah, 
I think we touched on this a little bit in a couple episodes ago, mm-hmm. but not everyone listens to every episode, as we say. That's right. Uh, it's right. So even it, though you should, you should listen to every episode multiple times. Please, yes. can not, you do it for me? Please? Listen to every episode. Uh, write a one-page description of what yeah. happened uh, uh-huh. and submit it so that you can get the. Um, it's probably not aliens challenge coin. That's right. Uh, a thing that doesn't exist. Um, it doesn't exist. It exists yet. in your heart. Why not? Although I imagine that uh, the design for a uh, uh, it's probably not aliens challenge coin would be pretty fun. Send us your best designs. Oh my god, Rob's not aliens on Twitter. <laughs> but yeah, so it comes from a reference by uh, the father of atomic bombs, uh, a scientist by the name of J. Robert Oppenheimer, which uh, I'm sure many uh, it's part of many of an American's history education. I, yeah, is there a heard, movie coming out about about this dude? Maybe I don't know. I obviously I do not trust the things I say about movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> You should just have like a memento, like a Polaroid, um, uh-huh. and that's just like a picture of me, and then it just says, uh, "Do not believe his lies," and then in brackets about movies. Yeah. Okay. So it's uh, it's a it's a Chris Nolan movie. Um, speaking of mem- memento, uh, it's a Chris Nolan movie that will be coming out next year, starring Killian Murphy, who's great, and it's just called Oppenheimer. Is it Oppenheimer or Oppenheimer? Oppenheimer, right? I think Oppenheimer. Yeah. So when he was was described uh, in the sort of references to it he was he described the witnessing the explosion of the first nuclear bomb and it evoked words from the Bhagavad Gita that makes him reflect on its power, which is the very famous line that I imagine a lot of Americans know, which is now I have become death destroyer of worlds. Infamous lines about a very infamous new technology and the birth of a uh, very dangerous age for our species. And and I want to add too. there's like there's footage of of him saying this like archival footage of him of him like saying this in an interview and like it's not said to be like a cool thing right he's not like trying to be like yeah now i am become death destroyer of worlds bitch i think think he's more just like hey we created something incredibly devastating and let's just let's all think about that for a moment yeah Um, but i i do think that it's without that context it does really it does sound like he's just like uh yeah he's flexing now who's yeah he's flexing uh, now who's cool huh now Me. who's become death destroyer of worlds <laughs> now who has become death who is death destroyer of worlds now who's got two thumbs and just became destroyer of worlds <laughs> just became death actually this guy um <laughs> so J. Robert Oppenheimer's often claimed to have said this when witnessing the detonation in July of 1945. Uh, hey, it's July of 2022. This yeah. is July. But actually, um, he did only he actually only said this 20 years later for a television documentary, which was the decision to drop the bomb. Mm-hmm. And but the thing is that people don't know this because the 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 actual historical event and the documentary sort of get blended together. And so it's become a sort of apocryphal story that uh Oppenheimer said this to his students in 1952 Mm. uh, and also that this sort of story rose that during this time Oppenheimer referred to when when describing the bomb to his students that this was the first time that the atomic weapon had been invented quote in modern times what so even he knew Mm -hmm. interesting even he knew that ancient cultures had it yes the only problem is that there's actually no evidence he ever said this and never mind then forget everything (laughs) I I was saying. And his 1965 reference in the Bhagavad Gita was uh, supposed to be a poetic reflection, not a serious like t- uh, statement about ancient weaponry. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, should be obvious with the sort of poetic description. But, you know, we, 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 we can't lend too much to the imagination when it comes to talking about this stuff because you give an inch and they take a mile. But yeah, so it is, it's Oppenheimer reflecting on the fact that he made a doomsday device. Yeah. So um, moving forward, uh, so the problem is that, you know, what we described, the way that, uh, that it was described that Mahendra Daro has this, you know, the victim, looks like it was the victim of a nuclear blast. Really, I'm starting with the debunking and then I'm kind of going into Mahendra Daro later as a as sort of a reverse order. Oh, but, um, interesting. Okay. Get the debunking out of the way. Yeah. But like problems immediately start to arise. Mm-hmm. So 
So first of all, uh, Mohenjo Daro is made of primarily mud. Um, the the walls of the buildings in the city are made with um, mud bricks that are made in a kiln that mm-hmm. rise to about 15 feet tall. Uh, they're not reinforced. They're not concrete. And the first thing that comes to be a problem is like, imagine a nuclear bomb going off, one of the most powerful explosives at all t- of mm-hmm. all time. Now imagine how well mud brick could stand withstand the damage of, <laughs> of a nuclear bomb. I'm going to guess probably not great. It like flattened Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which were cities that had like, you know, concrete and like, you know, mm-hmm. modern building construction stuff. Um, mud would have no chance against uh, this sort of technology. So that's like the main thing that always like that first came to mind where I'm like, hmm, there seems to be a lot of remains of buildings for a city that was flattened by a nuclear explosion. Yeah, a lot of (laughs) mud buildings seem to withstand a nuclear shock. Yeah, Um, which like, you know, you couldn't fit an entire city in a uh, lead line refrigerator. So, you know, that that couldn't happen. And trust me, it's not for lack of trying. (laughs) You know, like I was just I was just doing groceries yesterday Uh uh, and um, it was one of those things where it's like just trying your absolute best to fit everything in there. And I'm like, I couldn't quite fit any Pakistani villages in there, unfortunately. I tried so hard. You know, sometimes you have to like take out one of the shelves or like, you know, move the water pitcher around or maybe well, like, and then I had like leftover pizza and I was like it's either this or the city and I was like well I want to have this pizza for lunch tomorrow so yeah. gotta save that one anyways <laughs> yeah uh, but like the main claim that Mahendradaro uses to talk about uh, or that they use to talk about Mahendradaro being the victim of nuclear of a nuclear blast is the fact that there was all of these bodies found in the street hands hold and like all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so that does you know it, it's argued that you know a bunch of bodies scattered around does imply especially because they weren't eaten by carrion or anything like that does imply like a singer a single major event but this is the problem with archaeology um or this is the problem with when you're talking about archaeology which is that um digs are multi-dimensional and also that people in the past did things um sloppily so the bodies Mm -hmm. in Mahendradaro were first excavated in a bunch of excavations that happened between the years of 1922 and 1931 and that were like a hundred years out mm-hmm. from when and, they started. Yeah. And as we talked about with um, the Baghdad battery episode, um, that archaeology in this time was not the most scientifically rigorous um, thing. And mm. so a lot of people have criticized that this dig has led to poor methodology and interpreting uh, the status of these bodies is difficult because the context was not super well documented. And so it's been hard to really figure out the real situation, what was going on. Mm-hmm. But even though, even though, you know, the, the, the archaeology was done sloppily in that, in that time, um, we've still found some interpretations that 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 was probably, that does imply that there was probably a singular event. Oh, I thought, I I genuinely thought you were going to say probably aliens. Probably aliens. No, Uh, it looked like it was maybe a a war. Okay. A war with what, Tristan? Other people? Big explosion (laughs) weapons with nuclear weapons, potentially? Or with swords. Okay. That was the interpretation they had at the time. Mm -hmm. But in the time since then, we've to Together, they've discovered about 37 different bodies. Okay. And they were found in similar parts of the city, but more recent analysis have shown that they actually probably were buried uh, in different time periods. And this is the whole thing about archaeology. It's that it's three-dimensional. And that that Mahendra Daro was occupied for over a thousand years. Uh, There there are three major periods, the early period, the intermediate period, and the late period. And that uh, there are bodies that are clearly from different periods in this area. Furthermore, there are uh, a lot of these bodies show signs that they were buried. Um, one of the groups of bodies were found laying in the middle of a street. Like they were probably buried in a grave in the late period when like in the early period or the intermediate period, it was a street. So this is the whole thing. Oh. Like, you know, as the as time moved on, they built the city on top of the last city. And in a lot of really old archaeological sites, this is a thing. So you might see what looks like bodies buried in a street. But what you are seeing is a street existed. Then right. that city got like a uh, 
then then they built another city on top of that and then they built another city on top of that and what right. was so it's not actually people laying dead in a street it's it's people laying dead in a former street current graveyard <laughs> yeah and, and so like that a lot of the a lot of the ones where like the bodies seem like they're out of place do show signs that they were probably buried they have some like you know funeral markers and stuff like that that imply that so that's a few things at least a few hundred years had passed between these different uh times when these were different things then they and the thing is that the other claim that ancient alien people make is that the bodies were remarkably well preserved so that means that if they had been killed in like a battle or something like that that was the explanation they were trying to debunk that they would have been eaten by carrion they you know their their bones would have been scattered any body that is like left out is usually eaten by vultures or or some sort of like you know some sort of carrion animal would have would have eaten them and when that happens you know the, the bones get scattered all over the place that didn't happen didn't happen and they were thinking that's probably because of the elevated radiation that kept the animals away but the thing is that no um because it, it, it would it'd be completely yeah. upturned if you realize that the bodies were actually buried and also the other thing that they say is like oh the bodies are like super well preserved because of the radiation i'll i'll let you know that uh mahendra daro is in the sindh uh region of pakistan which uh-huh. is uh one of the hottest and driest places on the planet um uh-huh. and is a very good place for find for preserving uh bodies uh so they just turned into person jerky uh essentially <laughs> they just dry it out. I also I want to go back to the 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 claim that radiation kept animals from picking at the bodies. Like, do animals? It would have to be like a lot of radiation to like kill an animal immediately upon entering yes. that space, right? And as we talked about previously, a nuclear explosion does not have as long of like radioactive sort of uh, fallout, I guess, uh, or, you know, it doesn't, not like a nuclear reactor where the radiation is long and give, you know, for a really, really long time. An explosion would be a lot all at once. And then, you know, like a decade or two later would be totally fine. Yeah. Like Hiroshima and Nagasaki are rebuilt in like modern cities today when like the Chernobyl exclusion zone is going to be uninhabitable for thousands of years. Yeah. Um, So yeah, you're talking about very different things. And also the thing is animals don't have Geiger counters. They don't know this stuff. They Um, don't know. That's why I was saying like, it would have to be a ton of radiation. Like they would have for, to die them, almost instantly. Yeah, yeah, instantly upon entering that that space. Because even at Chernobyl, like there are animals that live around that that area. Yeah. Scientists actually are very interested in uh, the Chernobyl exclusion zone because uh, it's one of those places. It's sort of one. There's actually a little bit like this. Um, there's a zone that's kind of like this with um, the little strip of land that separates North and South Korea, mm-hmm. where they're like these areas where because of disaster or because of geopolitical reasons, nobody can live in them. Mm -hmm. And they have become, because there's no people there, these like little bubbles of like preservation of an ecosystem that has been largely destroyed by human habitation. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of animals that live in the Chernobyl exclusion zone because there aren't humans to, you know, kill them. And it has become like a little like European ecosystem. Now, I will say that the animals and plants born in that area do show signs that they have like increased amounts of like mutations and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And there's sure. probably issues with them dying of like thing is wild animals. Like a lot of the a lot of the health problems that come with radiation come with age. Like that's mm. why whenever you hear somebody being exposed to radiation like that, they, they increase their lifespan by an average of this many years. It's because mm-hmm. they're they're likely to develop cancer now uh, later in life. Right. Um, animals don't in the wild don't typically live long enough to get those kinds of cancers so it wouldn't really have been it's not really that like huge of a deal but there is still like um there is still in the chernobyl exclusion zone like signs that there's like some strange mutations happening in these uh plants and animals but not enough that like life doesn't find a way yeah exactly so i mean i just wanted to 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 go back to that those animals because i just i feel like I feel like that's a pretty, pretty easy one to debunk immediately. Yeah. And and also keep in mind that I am using a very generous example because the Chernobyl exclusion zone is a place where there is currently a yes. molten uh, uranium reactor that is still uh, pouring radiation out from its source where the Russian and Ukrainian and Belarusian governments have had to build a like gigantic cement coffin around the entire building to contain. <laughs> and, yeah. 
and even then the place is hopelessly irradiated for thousands of years before it's going to be yeah. safe for people to live in. But as we've yeah, as we've talked about nuclear explosions and and nuclear, you know, meltdowns are very are two very different things that last for very mm-hmm. different amounts of time. Yeah. And Hiroshima and Nagasaki were dangerously radioactive and still have heightened radiation levels compared to the baseline, but not to an extent that is dangerous and uh it was like probably uninhabitable for a period of months to years uh Mm -hmm. not decades to millennia well there you go and unfortunately in our heads we kind of get like what the 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 um fallout of a nuclear explosion uh mixed with the um fallout of like or the the uh contamination that comes with like a nuclear meltdown um because we have a really bad problem with conflating nuclear power and nuclear weapons and it's leading (laughs) to us having a real crisis when it comes to dealing with climate change. Yay! Because it turns out nuclear power is a really useful and clean energy that people are refusing to use because of Chernobyl and... Anyway, anyway look, I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll get more sad later in the episode. We've barely scratched the surface. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like, so basically the idea is that there's probably like, like the bodies would be, uh, would ex- be expected to be intact because of the dry and hot nature of the region. Yeah. Um, and there's there's also claims that uh, one of the claims this is probably one of the more convincing ones when I was listening to ancient aliens talk about this, Ooh. which was that like, oh, and there's also signs that there's radioactivity levels that are higher in the area, um, that there's like a radioactive dust, that the bodies are okay. among the most radioactive ever found okay, on par so with those is, at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Now, this is interesting because in our previous episode about ancient nuclear weapons, we had talked about how if something like this were, were to happen, then there might be some. Um, residual radiation that we could measure and you're saying there is at least there claims to be yeah because the actual the answer to that is um that the uh many people who have tried to investigate this have never been able to find the source for this claim they just say people have said this and uh and nobody who i looked at had any like they were unable to find who said this or um what source said this (laughs) just that it was said yeah (laughs) Um, Many people have said this. Many people are talking about the radiation over at. <laughs> Many over people at are talking about the radiation. <laughs> Again, it's like, um, so unfortunately, there's not some like cool, like actually there's a natural nuclear reactor underneath. No, it's just like, it's probably like a lie. <laughs> it's unfortunate. Someone made it up somewhere and it just spread. And now it's, and now it's here forever until we got a hold of it and we're debunking it now. Mm-hmm. And the thing that is that this is actually not, not the first time there's been um, controversy around the bodies at Mahenjo-Daro. Um, there was a time like in sort of that period when they were first excavating them where they thought that this was the sign of a invasion by a group called the Aryans, which is sort of this complicated, weird. So like there's this like pseudo history uh, idea of like, what are the origins of the of the whites? And that there's this whole idea that like they came from northern India and they like went through the Caucasus and like all that kind of stuff. And that like they came to Europe and mm-hmm. in many ways, it's like trying trying to it is in some ways this is like the sort of pseudo history that led to the um the mythology that the germans were trying to make about themselves in the 1930s and i can't imagine what they got up to in that period <sighs> uh, hence the aryan name but trying to like like backtrack this mythical people and um this is part of that but as i said the whole claim that it was that they were attacked by like a, an invading horde also sort of uh has been uh a largely axed mm. there's also a claim that there's sand found at Mohenjo-Daro that has been vitrified, which means it's been like turned to glass. Oh, okay. Hot hot sand. Hot sand turned hard sand. Yeah, because like a nuclear, because like at the site, at the Trinity site in New Mexico, uh, a lot of the sand where the explosion went off had turned to glass. Mm. Uh, I know because I've been to the Trinity site and I have seen, they have some of the glass in the museum. Uh Uh-huh, of course you have. Just really gotta be like, mom, dad, thank you so much for all of the weird road trips we went on. Uh Thank you for thinking- Globe-trotting Tristan over here. America-trotting, let's be serious. Yeah, um, all right. But, like, yeah, like, uh, the fact that my parents thought, you know, we've got a, f- a 13-year-old and a 11-year-old, and we are driving through the American Southwest. Let's go see the museum for the Manhattan Project. <laughs> <laughs> um, the fact that they did that made me very makes me very happy. Um, and it's how you end up with the strange, broken human you see before you say. <laughs> 
um, but the thing is that so so like that that is interesting because there actually is vitrified uh, like there is glass found at the site. Um, okay, but the site they're talking about is um, a probably a place that was a dumping ground for broken pots, and that the vitrified sand was probably made in a uh, very advanced technology called a kiln. Um, a thing that's used for making pots. That's so disappointing. It's like, we found this glass here. It could only mean one thing, a big fiery explosion. And then you just like, you know, flashback to that same place in this time period. And they're just like, oh man, this glass pot broke. I don't know, throw it over there. Yeah, it makes me what I find very interesting is that vitrification is such a fun word. And I'm remembering the really wacky period in which I actually first heard that word. So vitrification, I think it's like actually like there's actually some like still some mysteries about what it really is as a state of matter. It's kind of confusing. But um, I found out this. So this is going to take you to a completely different context and completely different place. But okay, um, so you've heard we we talked a a while about uh, the freezing of Mr. Mr. Disney and the conspiracy theory that Frozen was made to oh yeah uh, to as like an seo search term thing but um i once read about the process of how they actually freeze bodies mm-hmm. like when they actually for the people who actually do that uh-huh, uh-huh. and one of the things is that um your body has a lot of water in it and yeah, when you are when your body is put in liquid nitrogen water freezes and f- it, it water is weird uh unlike a lot of other materials it expands when it freezes mm. um and when water expands in crystals in all of the cells in your body it uh destroys a lot of it that's like basically i think what freezer burn is essentially like oh. the ice crystals basically like break down all of the cells and all that kind of stuff and what's left is just like bad mush that's been destroyed so that's not good for you know trying to preserve somebody in hopes that you can reanimate no. them the future so what they have to do is they actually have to vitrify the human body which is like basically like they they like when you are legally declared clinically dead they finally start injecting you with like something like antifreeze that like basically takes your whole body and replaces all of the water with this like proprietary fluid that keeps your body in this like vitrified state so that your cells are hopefully preserved enough that someone in the future can figure out how to bring you back huh yeah because i've i've heard that about like you can't just free you can't like literally freeze something and and have it be uh preserved or else you would or else we would have like a ton of really intact presumably intact uh you know mammoths and stuff bodies of like people or or animals or whatever that have been frozen and we, we would just be like riddled with it but in fact it's actually hard to find that sort of stuff because you need like a perfect condition of like freezing then thawing then freezing then thawing in order to keep something uh intact like you know like a like a dead person's body from ancient times intact for for that that long Mm -hmm. well you can keep them frozen for a long time it's just that like they would you would like there is like cases of people who have been in situations where they have like been um like near death and Mm -hmm. kept at extremely cold temperatures uh that has like preserved their body for like uh, uh, a really really long time like longer than we thought was actually possible and they've been able to be like people have been like people who have like who they thought were like goners because they died of hypothermia or something like that were Mm. actually able to be resuscitated long after we thought they could not like not like years but like hours right (laughs) uh and we're actually able to be brought back uh from from the dead theoretically because of this and i think it has to do and it doesn't happen all the time but it's because the cold does preserve but also the ice does destroy your cells now just cut to 2008 when there's those arctic people looking for the tesseract and they find just (laughs) steve rogers is just mush (laughs) yeah (laughs) well he's got the super soldier serum that's the proprietary fluid that turns (laughs) all of his all of his water into (laughs) he's vitrified (laughs) he's vitrified (laughs) steve rogers he can survive cold temperatures internally he is also made of glass do not do not hit him hard do not hit him (laughs) he looks really strong he is super fragile glass isn't that basically um uh samuel jackson's character in uh in the uh in uh unbreakable yeah one of the i the 
movies that I haven't seen. Um, I'll just I'll let you stand by it, Mr. Movie, <laughs> Mr. Movie Trivia Genius. I think there's like a sequel to it called Glass. I think you're right. I've not seen it. Because like his whole thing is that like he walked with a cane that was made of glass and his whole he was like the ant because like because uh, uh, Unbreakable. Before you, before you start describing, how confident are you in what you're about to say? I have seen this movie a long okay. time ago, but I have seen it. Um, but like the whole storyline of that movie is that um, Samuel Jackson's character is like supernaturally frail mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that he is like that there's like an opposite for every superpower. So Bruce Willis, Mr. Unbreakable, unbreakable. He can yeah, he yeah. can like he cannot be injured. He has never gotten sick. And that like that Samuel Jackson's his opposite. But and then like sort of symbolically, he walks with a glass cane. Um, ah, it's like a thing. Just um, like Captain America. Apparently there were some sequels. I haven't seen those. And apparently they're like one of the rare instances of M. Night Shyamalan not disappointing you, which oh. um, I thought he made like two good two or three good movies. And then it just sort of was like, I'm going to ride those three and just make a bunch of extremely mid movies for the rest of my life. Or just outright bad movies. <laughs> yeah. Lady in the Water. Oh, boy. Um, anyways. The Last Airbender. We, we don't I talk have to about mention, Avatar. I have to mention The Last Airbender or else people are going to be like, I can't believe you didn't say that when we were talking about his bad movies. I know it exists. I don't want to believe it exists. My name's The, the Monks Called Me Ong. Soka. Uh, <laughs> Soka. And also everyone's white for some reason. Let's um, move on. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, yeah. Uh, so it, it turns out that they can make vitrified stuff in a in a kiln. And they so when so the other thing, too, is that a lot of the a lot of the sources for in the Vedic texts that are referred to in ancient aliens, referring to that, like fiery bombs and stuff like that was um, let's just say this. It was out of context and it was um, I don't like that. You know, I don't like that. It was an out of context citation without like they didn't cite they cited the text. but They didn't cite what part of it. And this is a text that has uh, like almost two million words in it. So. And and not which translation they used of said text, because they obviously weren't translating from Sanskrit. Of course Um, not. So like they were they were probably like so when people actually were able to trace down what this is about, they it shows references to a weapon that shoots fiery arrows from the sky. And we talked about the significance of arrows in Hindu um, Hindu stories. Uh, Also references some other things that nuclear bombs don't do, like causing it to rain blood. (laughs) Um, Interesting. Interesting. And there's no description of another iconic part of a nuclear explosion, the mushroom cloud. Yeah, that didn't show up in what you read. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty big one. Also, um, Davenport and Vicente's paper is actually is not a scientific paper. Um, it only was written with like, you know, some hunches. But what it did end up was it got cited when we talked about Mahendra Daro in a little book by a little Swiss man. No. By the name. No. Of Chariot of the Gods. No. By one Eric Von Daniken. We Von are back. Daniken. You're Ugh. back. He's back. We don't like him. And what I also find very amusing and is very important is that it's probably true that Von Daniken did not read these texts because this <laughs> is a part that was likely plagiarized from Morning of the Magicians. Oh my god. Eric, what are you doing? <laughs> How did you fumble your way to success? Ah, so that's <sighs> So that's basically like this is the Mandradar was not destroyed by a, a nuclear weapon. Mm-hmm. But what is Mohendrodaro? Because it's actually quite a fascinating site. What is it? I need to know. I have to know. Well, we will find out after this musical sting. Oh, man, that was a good musical sting. That was my Rod favorite Kim? musical Rod sting. Kim, you knocked it out of the park. Rod Kim, who did our music, absolutely crushed it. I go to him anytime I need musical needs, and he never disappoints. Mm-hmm. Unlike Eric Von Daniken, who always <laughs> disappoints. He never fails to disappoint. Are we done talking about Von Daniken in this episode? Are we just going to learn yeah, about Von his? Okay, thank most goodness. Of the, most of the debunking were like, this is mostly popularized through Chariot of the Gods, which was plagiarized from Morning of the Magician. So let's see what Morning of the Magician has to say. Fantastic. 
fantastic. Let's let's talk about it. Let's let's go through it. Yeah. Um. So, um, Henjo Daro is actually one of the largest Indus Valley cities, mm-hmm. and I said it, it thrived a very very long time ago. Indus Valley civilization is one of the first, and actually one of the more mysterious early civilizations existing, like uh, at the same time as like you know ancient Mesopotamia and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So very ancient, and also as I said, not we don't know a whole lot about the Indus Valley civilization, but uh, yeah, it was contemporaneous with groups like ancient Egypt, Mesopotamia, uh, Minoa, Minoan Greece, Crete. And yeah. And so like very, very big, de- big deal. And the Indus civilization lived in what is modern day Pakistan and North India, mm-hmm. mostly focusing around the Indus river um, because you know how a lot of uh, civilizations lived around rivers at that time. So that's weird, right? Why do you think <laughs> that is? Did, did, did the rivers have anything that people need? No. This is coincidence. Oh, it had um, Gatorade. Oh, it had Gatorade. Yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it what people el- need. It's electrolytes, yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty big. It also, so like basically to give it like a range. Um, so to the west, it goes about as far as like modern day Iran. Mm-hmm. And to the east, it probably goes as far as the Indian state of Gujarat. So it's big. And it had some, definitely some major urban centers. There's places like uh, Harappa, uh, Lothal, Kalibangan, Dolavira, uh, Rakhigar. Gari and Mahendradaro. Yeah. Um, Mahendradaro itself is not fully excavated at this point. We've only excavated part of it. The entire region is suspected to actually be as large as 300 hectares. I don't know what that means. Hectares? This is a measurement of like land. Land. Okay. You can tell that I don't have any land. (laughs) I mean, I own definitely less than a hectare. Um, Yeah. When you're talking about like land parcels and stuff like that, a hectare... A hectare is a unit equal to 10,000 square meters. 10,000 square meters. And there's yeah, 300 so, of them. So it's so, a 100 by 100 meter square. And 300 of them is how big Mohenjo-Daro is. Uh, 300 hectares. So that would yeah. be a lot of square meters. That would be a lot. You can do the... Ma- hey, listener, you can do the math at home. It's a fun yeah, little this, game. This is a podcast with homework. Yeah. Have fun. Was it uh, 300? 300. Times 10,000. Times 10,000. This, 10, is like, this, is this is actually a very simple... It's 3 million. Million, three million okay, squares. I, I wanted to give them something, you know, I, just to make sure they were paying attention, just a game to play along with. Yeah, this is like a Canadian, uh, oh, it's like a Canadian contest. Because in Canada, they actually, you can't just have like raffles or like anything. That Every every prize, every contest with a prize has to have a skill testing question. Really? So the way that we get around that in Canada is that if you enter into like a raffle or something like that, you have to answer like a very simple bullshit math problem that they put on the ticket. <laughs> It's how, got, how much is 300 hectares? Yeah. Uh. It's usually like, what's two times three plus six or something like that? Oh, that's actually more advanced than I thought. I thought I was just going to be like, what's one plus one? We'll never know. We'll never know. Um, Scientists remain divided. And according to the uh, Oxford Handbook on Cities and World History, the civilization or Mahendradaro peaked at possibly at around 40,000 people, which if you think about it in like that time was a massive city. Yeah. And as far as we could see, when the Indus Valley civilization declined around the 19th century BCE, uh, the city was probably abandoned and was not found again until the 1920s, where it was uncovered by a guy by the name of R.D. Banerjee, who was an officer in the Archaeological Survey of India. Uh, uh, he visited the site in 1919 and 1920. Uh, he thought he had found a Buddhist stupa, which is sort of like a little place of meditation. It's full okay. of like different artifacts and stuff like that for, for Buddhists to meditate. Sure. Mostly those date to around like 100 to 500 CE. But instead he found uh, that place that was much, much older. And yeah. that led to a huge excavation of this this site. Um, and then in 1980, it was declared a World Heritage Site. Because cool. this is a pretty cool thing. Yeah, that's good. We like that. The site's located in the lowest lower Indus River region of Lakarna district, which is a in the province of Sindh in Pakistan, mm-hmm. modern day Pakistan. And while it didn't deploy nuclear weapons, it's arguable that they were probably the most civilization, most advanced civilization of their day by a pretty decent amount. And I'm going to show you, they, they actually had some very interesting technological advances for, keep in mind, multiple thousands of years ago. Yeah. OK, so now this is interesting because at the heart of it, a lot of these ancient astronaut theorists are basically like these ancient cultures were were way more advanced than people give them credit for. And it's like, yes, 
<laughs> in certain aspects, absolutely. Maybe not building entire nuclear weapons, um, but, you know, doing stuff that we're, I, that I assume we're about to discuss uh, yeah. is is still very, very cool. Yeah, because like a thing about the Indus River civilization, this is why they don't really uh, get like a, a lot of like the kind of flashy attention of their con- of their uh, contemporaries people is because they didn't do they didn't build pyramids. They didn't build ziggurats. They didn't build like really big fancy temples or anything like that. Sure. But what they did build was stuff like sewers and flush toilets. Whoa. They had cities. They had city planning that had like a grid plan and they had paved roads. Yeah. Um, it seemed that the people in the city probably had universal access to water. Uh, they had a, oh, man. A, a, a form of metric system, like a measurement system, a developed measurement system, and even uh, had the sort of assembly line production methods where like they would have people making like one part and then moving on to the next and adding another part and stuff like that. So Take not like that Henry Ford. Cause like, yeah, because before industrialization, people just kind of like, you know, you would be like an artisan and you would just make the whole thing at home and then you would sell them. But they like invented like, you know, the idea of like you make one part of it and then you pass it on to another person who puts the other part onto it and that kind of stuff, which is yeah. much more efficient, uh, sort of predates industrialization a little bit, but not a whole lot. That's really cool. They had all this stuff. They also did have weapons, but they probably use them for defense against raiders because there's actually not a whole lot of evidence that there was a lot of war in the Indus Valley. Oh, it's actually apparently, uh, according to the research that I have seen, uh, the Indus Valley during the peak of the Indus Valley civilization might have been one of the more peaceful periods in the history of humanity. Oh, now that's good. Now I like that. I like that. What you're saying now, they did have a form of writing, but we do not have the ability to translate it at this point, but we have seen a lot of text in uh, different places and uh, amount of amount of use of text that implies that there was a high level of literacy among them, uh, especially high amongst like compared to other people in similar at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that means that they had a, a lot of writing and a high level of reading and writing, which was, is, you know, pretty impressive. I think that's awesome. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, like they didn't get credit for that. And that's sort of like, uh, I think that's kind of an important thing to mention. Like, yeah, give them, give them credit for the really cool stuff that they actually did do or that we, we have evidence that suggests that these things rather than, you know, any sort because it's not even really saying that they necessarily invented a nuclear weapon rather than they, they just got hit with one by yeah, someone, that's true. right? So I don't know. <laughs> That also just leaves the the other question of like, but who did it then? I don't know. Aliens. I'm sure. uh, yeah, I guess aliens did it. Uh, with their alien nukes. Um, mm-hmm. So like this comes to like another aspect of, of things where, again, this is a civilization where there's still a lot of question marks. We of don't course. know as much about them as we know about like the ancient Egyptians or Mesopotamians because of well because of like you know general interest but also because of um the region they lived in the indus valley civilization is in the sort of uh zone between india and pakistan anyone who knows anything about india and pakistan know that that border region is uh very very complicated Mm. um they are two nuclear powers that are uh always at each other's throats um if i were a betting man and i were to bet what is the most likely place where an actual nuclear war will break out in our lifetime it would probably be between india and pakistan they are in a very very tense situation between the two. Yeah. Coming to do with the legacy of colonization and uh, disputed claims over places like the Kashmir region is the the whole podcast in and of itself. But like that region is um, tough to do archaeology in uh, for for obvious reasons. Sounds like it. And so like I think to like kind of sum up on this thing is that their, their entire case is a small group of bodies that come from multiple periods, thousands of years, uh, over a thousand years apart in time, clear signs of burial and some sort of coincidences, like the stuff with the glass and stuff like that. It's really weak. Much like Captain America, if you try to hit him. <laughs> much, like, much like Captain America, the evidence is extremely weak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and brittle. And if you, and if you br- even yeah. if you even slightly touch it, it'll just collapse. Do not, do not even glance at it like harshly. If you turn your your head too quick to look at Captain America, the wind from (laughs) from your head moving will blow him down. Yeah. Um, And the thing is, this also goes into another aspect. So one, they're capitalizing on a bit of a gap in our knowledge. But two, uh, they are also doing the thing where they take, you know, they take a a period of of people uh, usually who are exoticized others, i.e. like, you know, uh, South Asian people 
mm-hmm. and um, try to apply all this stuff because they when they're trying to sell ancient aliens in like, you know, North American and European markets, we don't have the cultural context and the sort of like, you know, innate understanding of the, the references to cultures in South Asia. So they can make these sort of out of context claims and, and point out to these things and not get any criticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also another thing, too, is that it comes from a literal reading of the text, which is, you know, the same playbook as the Young Earth Creationists. Yeah, you can't you can't just read. You can't just take take something like that word for word, literally. And unfortunately, it does seem like they are very, very selective on when they want to very literally read the text and when they want to not, because they will say that the uh, that the Vimanas or like, you know, the people flying chariots that are being pulled by geese in the sky. That's just symbolic of aliens. Yeah, those are spaceships. Those are spaceships. <laughs> yeah. But when describing the hand of God destroying uh, Mahendra Dara with a fiery arrow and raining blood, they're like, well, that's a nuclear bomb. <laughs> that's nuclear. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see where the, the problem comes. But yeah, like the, so like the thing is that Hindu mythology has often been the victim of this specifically. Mm-hmm. And the problem is not only that we don't understand the cultural context, but that like, for example, the Vedic epics are humongous. Yeah. And it's very easy. And also that we're working off translations like um, Chariots of the Gods uh, is probably using a source from an 1889 German translation mm. of a 1.8 million word Sanskrit ep- uh, epic that has no citation and no discussion of the cultural context of the text. Oh, OK. One example of which could be the reference to the brightness of hundreds of thousands of suns, which is a common reference in uh, Hindu writings to the arrival of a deity, specifically the arrival of the god Vishnu. Isn't that interesting? Maybe, maybe that line of text would have been more interesting if you had understood that that is that there yeah, is a reference to that. Maybe if you look at it in, in the full context. And this is also why it's really important if you're going to be studying a text from a culture that it's really important that you understand the language and you understand the civilization that made it because otherwise it's really easy to misinterpret things. Absolutely. We've seen that with the with the Zotar uh, when we're talking about misinterpreting Kabbalah and stuff like that. Yeah. We've talked about it when it comes to, this comes up a whole lot where uh, people who don't know the cultural context of the thing they're commenting on, then reading the text, not like doing literal translations and not thinking through, not having the, the education that say like a archaeologist might know. Right, right. And making these conclusions based on their readings, which is, um, this is not good. That's not, not That's not how you do. It's not no, how no, you no, do no, no, no. stuff. This is. Yeah. And also there's the idea that like they take things that are supposed to be sort of artistic and read them in the same way, like like reading the Vedas, like, you know, the epic mythology of, of yeah. Hinduism and reading it like it's supposed to be a like news report, you know, mm-hmm. like they were written with different things in mind, with different ideas and different reasons. Absolutely. And another person who comes up often in this discussion is researcher. And I, I found out self proclaimed real life Indiana Jones. Oh boy. Um, David Hatcher Childress. No. Um, and that yeah. we're hitting on all the <laughs> all the greats, all the great enemies of our podcast. Yeah, apparently he's like the real big uh, pusher of this theory. And he's the one who's written a lot about the idea that ancient Indian people had like, you know, airplanes and spaceships and mm-hmm. nukes and stuff like that. Yeah. Just as a refresher, David Childress is one of the like executive producers or writers or whatever of Ancient Aliens, the TV show, and also appears in it a lot. And, and the thing is that actually there might be some some good news on this front um, on like the sort of pervasiveness of the belief in this stuff. According to a book in the 1990s that came out uh, by uh, Kenneth Fetter, who I think we've talked about on the show before. Sounds familiar. Um, he has estimated that anywhere from a quarter to a third of college students believe in something like Atlantis uh, and that a third or more believe that aliens from other worlds uh, visited in the prehistoric past. Mm. But another study done in 2003 showed that that had fallen to under 10 percent. Oh, that's. That's awesome. Was that because of us? Did we do that all the way yeah, back we in 2003? We were a retroactive podcast. Our podcast is it. a tachyon. It goes backwards in time. It goes backwards in time. We are actually getting younger as the podcast. That's how, that's why our intros are worse, because we're actually getting less experienced in podcasting as <laughs> time moves true. forward. <laughs> it's true. So don't spoil Game of Thrones. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty jazzed about that one. I think they're going to stick the landing. Yeah, because the fin- like it's it, it's going on, it's so great so far. Yeah, no complaints. You need like like the only 
only thing that could ruin it would be to make a bad last season or something. To make a really bad last season with an exceptionally bad last episode that would cause people to take this uh, critically acclaimed cultural phenomenon and uh, make it disappear from everyone's minds. Just freaking murk it in the street. Yeah, that would be that would be weird. That would they. They I've never seen something big that big die so fast. I never even watched Game of Thrones, but I just know that the ep- the last season is bad and the last episode is bad. It's so rough. Much, so much that I don't. I have no urge to watch Game of Thrones. They have a, there's an episode in the last season where there's a battle and it happens at nighttime and everything is all black on black that you can't see anything. It's Aww. just confusing and weird. Come on. Anyways, um, so the problem and 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 this is the other problem is that Mahindra Daro is of course. Uh, suffering from poor restoration and bad protection. That's no good. So the pro- the region, because it's near a river, has issues with flooding, as many places with rivers do. So, And there are already some walls that have collapsed and others are crumbling from the ground up because of the groundwater. Mm. And the UN at one point promised, a bu- like a bunch of countries in the UN promised a bunch of monies to help with the restoration. Uh, that money seemed to not manifest. So then the Pakistani government was tasked with it. Pakistan, not necessarily an extremely rich country. Then Pakistan kicked the bucket down to the province of Sindh, saying that they had to take care of it. And overall, this has resulted in there not really being a lot of uh, money to Mm. maintain and restore the site to the point where in 2012, uh, Pakistani archaeologists warned that if we don't do something to improve the site, that it could be gone by 2030. Oh, that's no that's coming up real quick. Yeah. It also doesn't help that in 2014, Bilawal Bhutto Zadari of the Pakistan People's Party decided to have his inauguration ceremony there. Um, Um, Is that like a thing where people where like there's a lot of people and there's like a lot of big, you know, chance of people messing with stuff and ruining things. Not to mention they would have to build all of the infrastructure for it, which would mean mm. they'd have to have mechanic, like, you know, excavation and Machinery drilling machines. And, yeah, 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 that kind yeah, of stuff. yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's not one of those bad ideas is what you're saying? Or it is one of those bad ideas? It is one of those really bad ideas. Oh. Um, luckily, uh, a a really, uh, a real uh, mensch by the name of Farzan Masi, who is the head of the uh, Department of Archaeology at Punjab University mm-hmm. uh, warned that this is actually banned under the Antiquities Act, basically threatened saying you can't even hammer a nail at an archaeological site. D- did that work? Well, he filed a case in, in 2014 with the uh, High Court of Sindh to uh, ban the Sindh government from continuing with the event. But despite all of that, it was still held. No, come on. <laughs> uh, despite it's the fact so that there annoying. was protest by... <laughs> international and national historians and a bunch of educators, they still held the event. That's so annoying. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that maybe, maybe, maybe preserving our national, our, our, you know, global human heritage is worth some countries coughing up some money to pay to protect it. That'd be um, good. But yeah, that's, that, that, that's the most sad part. And I haven't talked about some like good old fashioned destruction of historical artifacts in a Not minute. In a so. bit. Yeah. And also just don't have parties there. Don't have parties at historical sites, please. Yeah, this is where things get complicated, though. I, I was watching this um, wonderful video by a YouTuber named Kazro, who <laughs> everyone should should watch. They're great. But Kazro did a video about, like, what do people do with their antiquities? And there is an aspect where it's like, in many ways, these are part of, like, the common human heritage. In other ways, uh, it's a, there's something a little colonialist about telling other countries what they can do with their own past and their own heritage and how to spend their own resources. And... I think that if we are to preserve this site, and it does seem like that there are people in Pakistan who are very much willing to preserve yeah. this site, that the UN should definitely, um, you know, cough them up to do so. Um, yeah. We shouldn't be expecting these countries that are, you know, still developing to... Um, to spend the expensive money to keep these sites intact if we don't if we if if we really care about them that's and fair if we add something to the unesco world heritage site list we have agreed that it is part of our human heritage and therefore is worth uh preserving and maybe we shouldn't kick the can down the road i guess yeah but you know if you if you want a good party you can 
find you can find it at twitter.com slash probs not aliens well done is that the end of this episode are we moving yeah, on yeah, to the yeah, end yeah, that, okay, yeah. that is basically the situation that's um that's the that's the lesson um if you if you like the past care about it uh, care about it and also you know maybe that cultural context and education is important when you're going to talk about text from another culture that's a good a good lesson to wrap up on mm-hmm. so yeah uh, if you want to uh, tell us about Mohendro Daro or I- I'm trying to think what would be a good participation aspect of this if you can figure out that math problem from earlier mm-hmm. if you can if you want to draw a probs not aliens challenge coin if you want to draw fan art of glass captain America <laughs> you can do all of that uh, on Twitter at probs not aliens yeah we love everything you guys send it's great especially um, I love when a new episode comes out because my mentions just fill with all of the things I got wrong which is great I love it yeah maybe I need to like sit down and do like a dedicated corrections episode or something that would actually be really fun because I'll tell you what ancient aliens the show is not going to do a corrections episode but yep. we can we can be the bigger the bigger folks and it's we can be do mo- it so it's like mostly like we do five minutes on the history and then it's like all right now the movie trivia section now the movie <laughs> trivia <laughs> That we all got wrong. Um, yeah. Um, the other thing that you can do if you are interested in the kind of work that we do, uh, Scott has a yeah. wonderful YouTube channel where he I talks do. about comic books and creativity uh, explored uh, and curiosity explored through vulnerability. Yeah, uh, I do Where that. you can go to NerdSync. It's really good. You just made a new video on memes. I did. I comic finally released where a they video came from. about memes. So if you want to find out where Batman slapping Robin came from. Um, yeah, I've been teasing that meme video for so long on this podcast and it's finally out go check it out uh and tristan you also have a youtube channel called step back and mm-hmm. it's about looking at the history of the entire world uh and what it means for us and in, in today into mm-hmm. the current current culture yeah 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 i have a video coming out on tuesday about terrorism and LGBTQ uh, stuff really perfectly timed. Um, yeah. Yikes, for, yikes, yikes. For when all the corporations are removing all of their pride flags and their <laughs> logos. Um, but uh, but I'm currently like still like waist deep in this epic video on Russia that is uh, destroying like I, I it is now over twice the length mm-hmm. of a step back video script normally and I still have yeah, a lot it. more to go. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's going to be nearly 10,000 words. It's going to be well over an hour. Keep keep on the lookout for that. Uh, that's at Step Back. We've got links to all of our YouTube channels in the description of each episode. You can write reviews of this podcast. If you go uh, on Apple Podcasts, I believe, is the only place where you can write reviews. But you can also rate us on uh, Spotify. That's always good. And tell your friends. We love when you tell your friends about the show. We keep growing. New people are finding us. It's a lot of fun. It's just been fun to see how much people enjoy the the thing that we make. Yeah, I was just saying before we recorded that I have like random friends of mine who are messaging me like, bro, this podcast is really good. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find links to everywhere you can listen to the podcast at a very simple website. Repeat after me, probsnotaliens.com. That's it. That's Someone just website. said probs not aliens on the subway. Mm-hmm. And someone's like, what are you talking about? That's good. That's how you get more people to listen to it. Just say it out loud wherever mm-hmm. you are. And I think that's it. So until next time i'm scott nicewander i'm tristan johnson and the truth is out there probably but i repeat do not do Do not not touch touch steve rogers i swear to god do not (laughs) touch steve rogers he will crumble